0: All right, so we are continuing our study through First Peter. Last week we did a standalone message on Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 about coming to Christ. Come to him and yoke yourself to him and learn from him and that, that we could find rest for our souls. Did you enjoy hearing God's word last week about coming and finding rest? I'm thankful for God's word. But now we're going we're to continue our journey. We're going to pick back up in First Peter. And we're beginning a new series in First Peter titled Kingdom Submission. Kingdom Submission. And so we're going to look at different subjects of submission and how that looks like for us in the kingdom of God as Christians. So would you go before the Lord with me in prayer as, as we dive into God's word. Lord, we come before you this morning and we, we thank you for the privilege of gathering, the privilege of hearing your word. And God, I pray that you would be glorified in all that is said God, I pray that your people would have receptive hearts to receive what it is that you would say to them. Pray that you would challenge our thoughts, challenge our thinking, help us to align our lives with biblical truth. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So kingdom submission. You know, submission, submission is not a a word that we like. We don't like that very much. Is there any uh, people who watch MMA? Are you, do you want to actually admit that? <laughs> Probably not, but I know that there are those in here who watch MMA. I'm not an MMA watcher, but whether, you, whether it's MMA or it's wrestling, what happens whenever you get somebody in a position where they tap out? What's that called? Submission. We don't like submission, and I guarantee you the person that has to tap out doesn't like to submit to the person that's got their arm around their neck or is about to break their arm, right? So they tap out. But submission, generally speaking, is not something that we like to do. We don't like it from the very beginning of our existence as children. We rebel against authority from the very beginning of our life. Isn't that amazing? What does that tell you? It tells you that rebellion is is born in us. That we are born with a sinful nature. That we are not basically good as our society wants to tell people that you're just a really good person and it's just a bad society that has corrupted you. And so because of a bad society, then then people act in bad ways. No, no, that's not the biblical narrative. That's not the biblical truth. The biblical reality is that we don't like submission and we don't like to submit or surrender to any authority because we are rebellious by nature. Do you agree with that? Have you seen that play out in your life and in the life of the society all around us? You know, growing up, I heard this phrase, and in in different contexts, but I heard this phrase, submit or split. Submit or split, right? You're either going to submit to your boss or you got to split. You're either going to submit to your parents or you got to split. No, no. Your parents had to keep you for a, a, a little while, but submit or split. But the reason we don't like submission is that we are a very individualistic society, especially in America. In a democratic uh, a, a, a republic, we, a constitutional republic, we are very individualistic and, and we have a, a high view of our rights as Americans. And, and our experience though is not like other parts of the world who don't live in a democratic republic like we do. And so so here in America, this is a very unique subject for us to think about, the subject of kingdom submission. How do we as Christians submit in our life in the different areas that God has called us to submit in while we still have this ingrained, individualistic, my right, my way, I want my whopper my way, right? We want things our way. How, how does that play out in our life as Christians? this is what we're going to look at in this series. And the first area we're going to look at is an area that, that we don't like to talk about, especially in church, but we're going to talk about it today. Because I wouldn't have probably chosen to talk about it today, but the Bible, because we teach the Bible, and we were going through 1 Peter, and we don't jump over scriptures, we just teach what's in front of us. We're going to talk about it because God's Word talks about it. We're going to talk about submission to the government. We're going to talk about politics, and government, and political leaders, and political structures, and systems, and, and we're going to see how should we as believers relate to the, government of Jesus, to, to the government of Jesus Christ. We should submit to that government, but how should we submit, how should we relate to the governments and the kingdoms of this world? And so this is what we're going to look at in 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. This is what the word of the Lord says to us today. Be subject to And honor the emperor. Really, some very challenging scriptures here for us to to take our American experience and look at this text. And we're going to look at we're going to look at the experience of those who are writing this. But then we, we are responsible to look at how this relates to our experience. Because our experience is a little different than what their experience was. And we're going to kind of unpack that. But in, in this section of 1 Peter, on the subject of, of, of the Christian and the government, which is the title of the message, very creative title, the Christian and the government. We look at three implications that result from the believer's responsibility to submit to governing authorities. Three implications from this text. What should a Christian's relationship look like with the government? The first one that I want to f- focus on this morning is that a Christian does not give ultimate allegiance to a political party. A Christian does not give ultimate allegiance to a political party. And everybody says that was not all that's not all of you. I got some convincing to do here. It's very, it's very important to uh, to understand this that that we don't give ultimate allegiance to to a political party. We're Christians. Now look, look back at the at the text, and 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 this is the filter I want us to to look at. It says uh, the, the first verse there, the first half of verse thirteen. Be subject, be submitted, uh, submit to, be subject for the what? For the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake is the filter for this entire text. Actually, for for the Lord's sake is the filter of our entire life as Christians, for the Lord's sake, for his sake. It is the, for the Lord's sake is the foundational reality for everything we walk through today in our life, and in particular in this text. And so it's important that we realize that we don't live our life for a political party. We live our life for Christ, for the Lord's sake. We live for him. When we think about the relationship between believers and the the governing authorities or the government, we must first establish and remember, where is our citizenship? Where is our citizenship? Are we Americans first or are we Christians first? Are we Republicans first or Democrats first or are we Christians first? What are we? We're Christians. Philippians 3 says this, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk, listen, this is so good, listen to this, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame, with minds set on what? Those who have minds set. What that means is allegiance and devotion. If you have allegiance and devotion to earthly things, The text says there in Philippians 3, you are an enemy of the cross of Christ. But what's the parallel? But our, as believers, but our citizenship is in Washington, D.C. Our citizenship is in Homa, Louisiana. No, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the foundational reality of our life as Christians, that we are strangers and aliens. What did we learn in the, in, in the first chapter of 1 Peter? That we are strangers, that we are exiles. That was the first series that we went through in 1 Peter called Exiled in Hope. That we live as exiles, that we live for the Lord's sake. We live for Him and Him alone. He is our first allegiance, our first priority. Where we place our greatest allegiance reveals where we place our trust. Isn't that so true? Where we place our greatest allegiance shows us, as people, where we place our greatest trust. Our life as Christians should not be lived for a greater, should, should be lived, our life as Christians should be lived for a greater reality than the workings of human political institutions. That's so true. Our life as Christians should be lived for a greater reality than the workings of human political institutions. When Jesus was arrested, and he's before Pilate, and he has a conversation with Pilate, and Pilate's talking to him, and, 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 and they had put an inscription uh, for, uh, o, o, over Jesus and, and, uh, when he was on the cross. But before he went to the cross, what the accusation was was that he, he was the king of the, of the Jews, he was the king of the Jews, and so Pilate begins to talk to Jesus and listen to this conversation. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answers, I am a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not Of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. As Christians, our relationship to the government is—it should be seen through the filter that if Jesus is our Lord, that we are citizens of His kingdom, and His kingdom is not of this world. A political party or, or 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 a politician may stand for a biblical cause. Listen, and that is so true. A politician or a political party may stand for a biblical cause in as as that is a reality. It is good to encourage those biblical causes through political means. Faulty and as broken as the systems might be. But always with the foundational perspective that our Lord Jesus is King and that we do not place our trust in flawed political leaders to accomplish what can only be accomplished through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit's work. That's a mouthful. Did you, did you hear that? God can use politicians and political systems. God can use those to bring good into a society and there can be biblical causes that we will get behind when we get behind a certain politician but but we must always have the perspective that Jesus is king and that the ultimate trust is not in a political leader or a party a political party to accomplish what can only be accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the holy spirit's power that should be the foundational lens with which we look at government and politics and politicians that we live for the lord's sake we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom You remember you remember whenever the nation of Israel was in Babylonian exile? When you go through scripture, you see the narrative of how they are judged by God and they are taken captive into Babylon. But then they they get let go and there's a portion of them that get to go back to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is decimated and and the city is decimated and and the temple is in ruins. And so the children of God go there and, and there's, there's, a, there's a, a big desire to see the walls rebuilt and see the temple rebuilt. And you, you see that unfold in the book of Ezra. But the prophet Zechariah, he is the prophet that is sent by God to go to the nation of Israel, to, to, to go to them in the middle of all their ruins and to speak to them and to remind them to return to God, to rebuild the temple, to, to place their priorities in the right place. And in Zechariah, you can read that there's a series of visions that God gives the prophet Zechariah. And the fifth vision was a vision for Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a political leader. Zerubbabel was a, a politician, a civic leader, a spiritual leader as well, who God was going to use to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So I want you just to think about this. Zerubbabel was a politician. Let's, let's, let's listen, listen to the... To the vision and the words from the Lord, from Zechariah to Zerubbabel, and what he has to say. Zechariah 4 6. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by power not by uh, voting the right person in office, not by not by uh, uh, all the political structures lining up behind the agenda that I have, not by might, not by power, not by the right amount of money being raised for the cause, not by might, Zerubbabel, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. There is no political system or structure that we can put our ultimate hope in to fix society. Do you understand that? God was teaching this to Zerubbabel. He was telling him, look, it is a good thing that you should rebuild the temple. It is a good thing that the city should be rebuilt. But you must remember that, if, that, that you cannot do any good in this earth apart from my power. Apart from my power. The vision from the Lord was given and the encouragement was for Zerubbabel to persevere and to complete the rebuilding of the temple. And it was to assure him of divine enablement. To remind him that God's purposes in the earth are not contingent upon human power or institutions. The Lord of hosts says, it is by my power. It is by my power. So what is the believer's relationship to government and political structures? For the Lord's sake. That's our relationship. That our allegiance first goes to God, not to the Republican Party, not to the Democratic Party. Our allegiance goes first to God because our allegiance goes to the one who has the power to actually fix our world. And how does God fix our world? He fixes our world. We are not into fixing broken systems as Christians, we're into fixing broken hearts. And how does God fix our society? How does God bring healing into institutions and structures? He fixes it by fixing the brokenness of the human heart. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we must not place our hope in political systems and structures and politicians to get that done. That's our responsibility. Did you know that? It's our job to speak to the issues of our day. It's our job to speak to racism. It's our job to speak to injustice. It's our job to speak to the plight of the orphan and the widow. It's our job to speak to the issues of our day and bring a biblical solution to those issues. Do you believe that? Is it it Washington's job? No. We are the city on a hill. We are the shining light. We are the ones who hold the truth of God's word high. The only truth that can solve the destruction that's been caused by sin. Do you see it here today in our world? Look all around your world. Look all around the world that you live in. Look at, the, look at what sin is caused in our world. Look at the, the, the division, the pain. Look at the murder. Look at the, the mass shootings that we see almost every day. Look at what's going on in our world. Can man fix that? No, not should man try to fix it. Yes, man should try to fix it. But the ultimate, the ultimate answer The foundational answer and the foundational reality is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only solution to the brokenness that we find ourselves in as humanity. And so because of that, as Christians, we don't place our ultimate allegiance in a political party. Amen? For the Lord's sake. Politics, politicians, and government can accomplish good things for society. God can use those structures for our good and his glory. But our allegiance and our trust is with Christ alone. Amen. The next thing that we're going to look at here today is that a Christian is not an insurrectionist or an evildoer. Okay? What are we? The text says it, 1 Peter 2. Be subject. Be submissive. Be subject. We're not insurrectionists. We don't overthrow government when we don't like what they do. We don't riot in the streets and burn down buildings as Christians. That's not what we do. We don't storm capitals. That's not what we do. We are subjected. We have a submissive attitude to the authorities that God has given us. Look what the text says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do good and to praise those who do to, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So we are not insurrectionists or evildoers. We don't overthrow government. We submit to the authorities that God has given us. I was on a Zoom call. Are you guys awake? Are you guys pay, paying attention? I think, I think you are. I think I got your attention today, huh? Let me take a drink of water. I don't ever do this, but I feel like I'm getting a little dry. I was on a Zoom call um, probably two, three months ago after the election was done. And it was I was the guest speaker in the Zoom call. So there's probably about 30 pastors that were on the Zoom call. And these pastors are from all over the United States. And so I was the guest speaker to speak a word of encouragement to the to the pastors and I gave a general word of encouragement that in these times we must hold high the word of God. I I looked at those pastors and I said, preach the word. Open your Bibles. People need the word of God. Just just strong push. Let's let's preach the Bible. And then they opened up the Q&A. First question. First question. The guy is about my age. He says, I got a question for you. You remember all those prophets that were speaking pre-election about Donald Trump? Do you remember those? We all said, yeah, yeah. And you know what they said? They said that Trump was going to win. Thus saith the Lord, Donald Trump will be reelected. And so this guy figured he'd ask me <laughs> to answer that. I'm thinking, I didn't talk about prophecy. and I didn't talk about Donald Trump. I, I talked about preaching the Bible. And so he asked me. He said, "So, so what do we do with that? How do we respond?" So as he's talking, he, I, I, as soon as I got the gist of his question, then I just start saying, "Lord, I need your help. <laughs> I need your help." So, so I look at those brothers, and and this is what I said. Really, main, mainly two things. So, well, the first thing that it does is this: is it should cause all of you and all of us to really think twice before we say, "Thus saith the Lord." It should cause us to really think twice before we listen to others who say, Thus saith the Lord. Because the reality is that those men were wrong. They were wrong. Even some of them came back after Biden won. Some of them even came back and said, Trump's still going to get in. They were false prophets. It should cause us to think, where are we placing our trust as believers in Jesus Christ? Are we placing it in the, the YouTube prophet? Are we placing it in the word of God? That's what it should cause us to do. Secondly, it should cause us to realize that God had a different plan than Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can clap if you want, but I want that to settle in. Because here's the foundation What we're talking about, we're talking about submission to government. And if we believe what scripture says, which is that God is the foundation of all authority and power. It comes from him. He sets kings up. He puts kings in. And so we can believe that Donald Trump was God's man. But if God didn't want Donald Trump in office, he was not going to be in office. I thought about whether I was going to say this or not, but I'm going to say it because it's true. It's true. Joe Biden is God's man. Now, you can disagree with the policies of God's man in office, but if God has placed him in that office, he is who God wants in that office. Cannot God put anyone he wants and allow anyone he wants into into leadership, into authority? I I, I told Pastor Clyde when we prayed pre service, I said, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender today. (laughs) So, I've, thank you for going on this journey with me. But okay, so, so I wanted to use that as, as an example that we are to submit because God's placed people in authority. But I want us to think now to the context of the first century readers who are reading this letter, okay? Peter's writing to Christians who are living not in a democratic constitutional republic. They're living in a dictatorship. Nero is emperor, not president. Peter is, in essence, saying Nero's God's man. And you've got to submit to the governing authorities. Christians, Rome, that are living in Rome, that are dispersed all around the Roman Empire because of persecution. Christians who their brothers and sisters are, are being burnt And set on fire and use his lanterns for Nero's palace. Christians, be subject to the governing authorities and to the emperor as supreme. And he ends this exhortation with saying, honor everyone and honor the emperor. You see, what we do is we look at that through the lens of our democratic republic, our democratic constitutional republic. But we don't have an emperor We don't live under Nero, brothers and sisters. Joe Biden is not Nero. Do you know that? He's not Nero. He's not an emperor. And so we have to see these things correctly and think about what that was like for them to read that letter. Think about what that was like. Do you think that some of them wanted to rise up and to fight back? He's saying, this is what Peter is saying to them. He says, you cannot be charged as being an evildoer. We're not insurrectionists. We're not evildoers. You know what's interesting about the fact that Peter is writing this? Peter is telling him to be subject to the governing authorities and to not be an evildoer. But do you remember what Peter did when Jesus got arrested? The governing authorities came and arrested his Lord. Look at the text, Matthew 26. Jesus said to him, Friend, Do what you came to do, speaking to Judas. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, I'm here to tell you, Peter was not hunting for ears that day. He was not ear hunting. He was head hunting. He was trying to stop these people. What did Jesus say? My servants would fight for me, right? Peter was fighting for his Lord. What did Jesus say? Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? What was Peter, what was Jesus saying to Peter? He was saying this, put your sword away. This is not what we do. We do not fight with physical force to establish the kingdom of God Nor do we fight with physical force to overthrow kingdoms of this world. That's what Jesus was telling Peter. We don't fight with physical force to establish the kingdom of God. And we don't fight with physical force to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. That's not what we do as Christians. And I I believe that the reason Peter was writing this to the Christians in first century Rome was that there were other people like him. There were some Peters that would have read this letter. We would be Peter's. How many of us would be like that if we were living in that reality? Look, I know. I know. Some of you have guns right now. Right now. I know. I I don't know who you are, but you got them. There's nothing wrong with defending your family and protecting your family. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we're talking about the government, we're talking about what God's called us to, we have to think at a different level. Jesus' message and, and Peter's message was also what Paul spoke. Look at 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our battle as believers is not with politicians and policies and governments our battle as believers is a worldview battle do you hear me it's a worldview battle because our hope does not rest in what governments and leaders do or don't do we don't fight over their power our fight is a fight for the hearts and the souls of those who are under the tyranny of the evil one i want to say that again listen to that again Because our hope does not rest in what governments and leaders do or don't do, we don't fight over their power. Our fight is a fight for the hearts and souls of those who are under the tyranny of the evil one. That is our job as Christians. We're not going to pull the sword to fight government's battles. We're not going to think that this is why we are here as Americans. As Christians, we are submitted to a higher authority into a greater kingdom and our job is to is to fight for the hearts of those who have been deceived by the evil one are you here today and you've been deceived by the evil one maybe you're here today and you've been deceived by the evil one i want to speak to you just for a moment listen to me if you've been deceived by the evil one your deception is is that you don't need a savior the deception that you're under is that the, the things of this world are are, are going to fulfill the desires of your heart to the depth of who you are. You're under the tyranny of the evil one and you are pursuing things that ultimately will not satisfy. No amount of money. No amount of power. You, you can have the greatest job. You can have the greatest relationships. But if you are apart from Christ, none of that matters in eternity. So if you are under the tyranny and the lies of the evil one, our message to you here today is that the only way to find true peace and freedom in this broken world that we live in is to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. He took your place so that you could be free, so that you could be healed, so that you could spend eternity with him in heaven. So if you are here today and you're under the tyranny, the lies of the evil one, today you can be free. Do you believe that? My brothers and sisters, that's our message. That is our message. That's why we're here. Look back at the text. It says that it says that these authorities have been sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So we're not insurrectionists. We don't rebel against the authority. We don't fight back with physical force. We Stay on message. We stay on point. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a a sin-sick world. But we also can't be accused of being evil. We cannot have our lifestyles contradict our message. Paul said this in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. So God has established governing authorities for the restraint of evil in society. The promotion of public good and the punishment of wrongdoing. To maintain peace in society. God has ordained them all. And today we thank God for the military and for the police. Do you you thank God? Absolutely. We thank God for the military and for the police. And for those who keep law and order in our society. And as Christians, Peter is telling these first century Christians, you can't be an insurrectionist. You can't be someone who's going to pull the sword like I did. Don't pull the sword like I did. Don't be an evildoer because you are already under persecution. People already hate you for your message. Don't give them another reason to believe that you're evil. We have to live in subjection to the authorities. And we are thankful for the authorities. We're thankful for police officers. And we're thankful for the military that protect us. So I've got a question. And you guys got, look, it's 1038. So this is going to kind of feel like I'm making a shift because I am. But hang on with me, Okay. And we're going to get to a conclusion here. But are there times when we're called to not submit to the governing authorities? Are there times when we're called to not submit? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And I see three biblical cases. We're going to go over real quick. So you guys guys buckled in Real, real quick, okay? Daniel and the three Hebrew children would not submit to the dietary laws, but they also would not submit to bowing down to the king, right? They would not worship. Because that would cause them to violate their conscience before God. Look at Daniel 3. This was the proclamation. The herald, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the, the, the zither, the, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Then Daniel 6 with the three Hebrew children. Uh, It says, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. Actually, Daniel 3 was the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 6 is Daniel. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce and decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So what did they do? What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do, and what did Daniel do? They said, no. This violates our conscience, and it violates our allegiance to God, so we will not do it. Here's another biblical example. Peter and John, before the Sanhedrin, they had performed a miracle. Uh, someone was healed, and they get pulled into the Sanhedrin, and they get, they get threatened. They are told, do not preach in the name of Jesus. Look at what it says there in Acts 4. Listen to their response. So they called. Them, Peter and John, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's the truth. You're going to tell me that I can't preach in the name of Jesus? Will throw me in jail. You're going to tell me that, that, that I can't gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship him? You can just go ahead and throw me in jail. Because we are going to obey the Lord rather than men. That's a biblical reason to say no if the government would ever do that. Here's another example. Now, this is an interesting one here. This is Paul using his citizenship in Rome for his benefit. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned on wrong charges. So look at Acts 22. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, "I'm a citizen by birth." So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and immediately, and the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen that he had bound him. Paul says, "I appeal to Caesar." So it, it is there. There is a reality that as Americans we do have rights. We do live. In, we don't live in first century Rome. We are Americans. Christians is our, Christ is our greatest allegiance, but Paul used his citizenship to say, no, this is not right. And you, I, I, I need to appeal to Caesar. So what, what would be a modern day example for us as Americans whenever our rights may be violated as Christians? There was a COVID restriction that was put in place in California for Christians. And they've been fighting a lot in California about some of these areas. And one of the restrictions was that Christians could not gather in their homes for Bible study with more than, more than three households present. And so a couple of Christians got bold and said, No, well, this is not right. This is not right. We look at the world all around us, we look at California all around us, and people are gathering in their homes for other reasons, and, and this is not right. And they stood up against it. It went ultimately to the Ninth Circuit Court in California, and the Ninth Circuit Court said, No, you can't gather. So they went to the Supreme Court, and many of you heard what happened. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of Christians in California, and it was right. Listen to the ruling that the Supreme Court gave. California treats some comparable secular activities more favorably than at-home religious exercise, permitting hair salons, retail stores, personal care services, movie theaters, private suites at sporting events and concerts and indoor dining at restaurants to bring together more than three households at a time. The state can't assume the worst when people go to worship, but assume the best when people go to work. That is a righteous judgment. That is a truthful judgment. And I thank God for the Supreme Court that stood up and said, no, this is not right. Again, we don't live in Rome under an emperor. Joe Biden's not a supreme emperor who can just do whatever he wants to do. No American president is. And so we do have constitutional rights. So these are some of the reasons, some of the ways in which we can we can submit to the government. He is our, we, 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 we don't place all this hope in government to fix the ills of society. We don't place it in this idea that they're going to make America Christian. No. That's our job, to, to preach the gospel, to see people saved. But we, we also recognize that we live in America, and we do have a constitution. Okay? All right, so did I step on everybody's toes? I think I covered everybody, right? I got, I got everybody there. I thought about all the caveats. There are times when for conscience' sake or because of the liberties afforded us in our country that when we resist, it is not in violation of this instruction from, from, from Peter or from Paul in Romans 13. As long as we handle ourselves with an attitude of respect and submission to the authority that God has ordained. So the ones who broke through and bust through the windows on January 6th, they didn't do that. Okay? I want you to hear that from me. That was not right that they did that. Now, it's okay to gather, to rally, to protest in a peaceful manner. That's our First Amendment, right? As, as Americans, that's good. We do it because of, of, of abortion. We do it for many other reasons. Those are good reasons. But when it turns to violence, then we've become an evildoer that Scripture says we should not be. Okay, you ready to move on? I'm ready to move on. Okay, we're going to conclude here. Here's the third thing a Christian, how a Christian relates to the government. But this is really not the government. This is everyone. This is a great conclusion from Peter. Look back at the text. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So the third thing here this morning is that a Christian honors everyone and fears the Lord. A Christian honors everyone and fears the Lord. Peter ends this section about submission to the governing authorities with some powerful imperatives. That if these, these imperatives are applied to our lives, it will transform how we view authority, but it will also transform all of our relationships. Honor everyone and fear the Lord. What is it that we do when we honor someone? When I honor you or you honor me? What is it that we're doing? We're esteeming them above ourselves. Can't couldn't we use that in our world today? could we use it in the church? Couldn't we use it in the world that I would esteem you higher than I esteem myself? I'm guilty of that as much as all of you in here have been guilty of that at times in your life. Where I, I look at my opinion and I think my opinion is the greatest opinion. The way I see the world is the greatest view. And if we're not careful in the way in which we communicate to each other and relate to each other, we can communicate dishonor to those that we should be communicating honor to, which is everyone. We should honor everyone everyone when we we live in a time where honor for each other is greatly lacking lawlessness and rebellion hateful and sinful behavior towards people and it all stems from an improper view of those around us why do we dishonor people that we don't like or that are different than, than us why do we dishonor people it's because we don't have a right view of who they are in god's sight how does god see them Look at what the scripture says, Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. Every human being is made in the image of God and worthy of honor and respect. Do you believe that? This is what Peter is concluding with, and I think it's so powerful as we're wrapping our brains around all the things that we just unpacked. That the foundation of all of this is that we would honor everyone, the emperor. From those that are at the top to those that are at the bottom, we should honor everyone. The highest in society and the lowest in society. Psalms 139 says, you form my inward parts. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The person that looks different than you is made in God's image just as you are. The person who thinks different than you is is made in God's image and was fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're a, a Republican, Democrats are made in the image of God. If you're a Democrat, Republicans are made in the image of God. Listen, when we honor our fellow image bearers, we are honoring who? Christ. We're honoring God. We're honoring Christ. Listen, listen to how honor impacts our society. Listen, every time we honor our employer and obey their instructions, we are honoring Christ. Every time we honor our school teacher students here that are in school, Every time you honor your school teacher by following their instructions with a good attitude, you are honoring Christ. Honor, honor everyone. Every time we honor our parents, we are honoring Christ. Every time we honor police officers by obeying the laws they enforce, we are honoring Christ. Every time we put our foot on the brake coming into the stoplight or the stop sign, what are we doing? We're honoring Christ. The laws, Why? Because that's what God has instituted, but we're, u- we're ultimately honoring christ or honoring God. Honor everyone. And then the last admonition here is to fear the Lord. Look at what Proverbs 9:10 says: "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is where wisdom in this life begins. Because the fear of the Lord reminds us of who is ultimately running this universe. He's calling us to honor everyone. He's calling us to submit to the governing authorities. And we can't get lost in the weeds about where our allegiance is. And we can't get lost in the weeds about who actually has authority and power. And this is why I believe that Peter is saying, fear the Lord. We must remember who is actually running this universe. The fear of the Lord reminds us that we are not just accountable to the authorities in our earthly life. And not just accountable to the police. Romans 13 goes on and says to pay taxes to who taxes are due. I'm not just accountable to the IRS. Even though they'll come and get my money, if I don't pay them, I'm not just accountable to them. We will stand accountable before the Lord who has far more power than the IRS, who has far more power than the government, who has far more power than any human institution. We will stand accountable before the Lord. He has more power than any emperor or king or president in human history. The fear of the Lord should shape every decision we make and every relationship we have. you believe that today? I pray that, I pray that you do. I pray that the, the word has pressed into your heart today. I, I know this is a, it's a challenging word. What, what, what I want to do is, to wrap all this up, I want us to obey the, the word of God in another area concerning our leaders and our government. I want us to pray for them. 1 Timothy 2 says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You see the same pattern, Peter, Romans, First Timothy. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We've got to pray for our leaders. we got to pray for our president. We've got to pray for our congressmen or our senators. We've got to pray for our parish president. We've got to pray for those who are in positions of authority so we can live a quiet and godly life. Would you stand with me as we close to end in prayer for those that are in authority? I'm going I'm to pray for us first, and then we're going to pray for those that are in authority those that God has placed in place, those that God has put in place. God, I thank you for your word here today. And God, I I, I know that your word challenges our preconceived ideas. Your word challenges the things that are ingrained in our thinking. It challenges us to have a biblical worldview and not an American worldview. It challenges us to see the institutions that are in place in our country, not as a means to your end. We got to challenge us, us to see that the gospel is the method and the means by which you will accomplish your purposes in this earth. And God, I pray that no matter what end of the spectrum that we land on in this message, that we would all come back to the center. We would come back to the center. The centrality of the cross, the centrality of Christ, the centrality of for the Lord's sake. May we not get in the ditch on either side, but may we all with sincerity of hearts, return to the center of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. And God, today we unify together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we obey the word of God today. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our governing authorities. So God, we pray, first of all, for the president of the United States and the vice president, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Lord, we pray for them. God, we pray that you would protect them physically, God, we pray that you would give them wisdom to be able to govern in a way that pleases you and is is good for our country. God, we pray that if they don't know you and are not in a relationship with you, we pray that they would be born again. That they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would guide them and lead them. God, we pray for senators and congressmen all across this country. We pray, God, that you would give them wisdom, that you would guide them and protect them. God, we thank you for the freedoms we have in our country, that we do live in a, in a constitutional republic. Lord, we thank you for that. God, you could have placed us anywhere, but you've placed us here, and we are thankful for where you have placed us. And we pray that our governing institutions would be right and would be whole and would be just and would honor people as we are called to honor people. And God, we pray for our parish president. We pray for all of our leaders here locally. Pray that you would protect them and guide them. God, we pray for our governor, for John Bell Edwards. We pray that you would protect him. God, I do thank you for a governor that, that does honor you, that called a three-day fast in the middle of prayer and fasting in the middle of this pandemic. I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that, for that in his life. I pray that you would touch his life and strengthen him, give him wisdom. Lord, I pray for spiritual leaders. I pray for Christian pastors and leaders in churches. I pray that you would give us all courage to, to, to maintain a focus on the centrality of Christ in all things. That we would not get off the mark but that we would focus on you and the message of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week.